But I don't. I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won, or but. I really gave it my all, so that for me is enough. Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve, I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. We almost did not make it through the weekend. Oh my lord, I almost turned the TV off. It is just too much. Almost turned that. That's the least of what you almost did <laughs> this weekend. Yeah, it it has been uh, an exhausting Grand Slam season, just a, a season in general, which is not over. Mm-hmm. But to me, this felt very much like an end of decade slam. It it really does feel like the end of an era in a lot of ways. What I want to know is when will we ever have a U.S. Open Championship weekend that will not totally ruin your birthday? Uh, I know. I guess when she who must not be named retires. <laughs> uh, it's very stressful for me as someone who has to live with you. That's all I'm going to say. Well, imagine what it's like being me. <laughs> the storming off at the end of a match. Yeah. Well, by now you know that Bianca Andrescu. We now pronounce it Andrescu because that's what we do. Bianca no. said. Previously we were saying Andrescu, like, you know. Two E's, that separate words. Very similar. Very similar. Okay. It's Andrescu. Okay. In, in, in Romanian. Romanian. Yes. But I think for Canadian audiences, the family was like, okay, it's fine. Just well, ble- blow through those E's. We don't know that. We just know what she says it is. Okay. So we go with that now. <laughs> Andrescu. Okay. Where was I? Oh, dealing with my shifting moods and oh yes so we know now that bianca is the u.s open champion she has completed a whirlwind unreal crazy stretch of play in 2019 yeah it's uh difficult to really grasp what exactly it is that she's done yeah so she's up a set and 5-1 on serena williams you have stormed upstairs you have had enough I can hear it. I can still hear it, unfortunately. You decide to just go lay in the bed with Mm -hmm. the door open. Yeah. And so Serena storms back, if you want to call it that, gets to five all. And so at five four, you start coming down the stairs and I'm like, nope, 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 no. Get back upstairs (laughs) now. You're not allowed down here. Like the entire tenor of this has changed since you left. Because I wanted at least a third set. You know, yeah, I wanted yeah. to see how it played out. It was uh, a psychological thriller almost at that point. Mm. With Serena finally, after losing three finals fairly easily, unable to find her way back into those matches, seemingly having found her way back into this match. And could we get a third set? Could Bianca actually be shook? I think it was one of the few times that we saw bianca get nervous going into this match i was thinking a how do you beat this woman and b does she ever let the momentousness of the occasion get to her and for most of the final she didn't and so serena was playing better yes but bianca definitely blinked in the second set and had serena played how would you know you did not see it i went back and watched it (laughs) Had Serena played better toward the end of that second set, we really could have been in for a classic Serena Williams comeback. It was not to be. 
And credit to Bianca Andreescu for um, for coming into this final with a plan and executing it extremely well. But I don't think this is poor sportsmanship to say that Serena played very poorly for most of that match. Yeah, sure. Yes. It was a different kind of poor from previous finals, though. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of similarities. There was the lack of nerve that we're so, well, I guess, sadly, we're accustomed to it now in these finals. But for much of her career, Serena in these high-intensity big matches is able to draw on what she needs to summon the big serve. And what was most jarring was her flailing away on the serve this entire match. It was so bizarre. A 43% first serve percentage, double faulting on break points three times. And she was broken six times overall. This was not the same player who we saw through most of the tournament, especially in the quarterfinal and semifinal rounds against Wang and Svitolina. She was practically imperious. Even if the serve percentage was sub-60 in some of those matches, it was still in the 50s and it was a weapon. Mm-hmm. In this match, it was it was amazing to see her give away breakpoints so easily, just, just with double faults. I always say that there's a necessary correlation between how well one plays and how the other plays. Mm-hmm. But what was different here for Serena is she always has control of her serve. That's something that she can always dictate with and fall back on, and she wasn't able to. And you could make the argument that the double faulting and the struggles on serve had to do with how well Bianca was returning. Mm -hmm. I mean, Serena had some 105-mile-an-hour second serves that were just being blitzed back at her. That is unusual. Very deep, right at her feet. That is unusual for Serena Williams. However... If she had more first serves in, she would not be in those positions. And at some point, I was thinking, like, just get some slow first serves in. Because now, after missing so many, you're suffering from this crisis of confidence. Sure, you may get a slow first serve in, and Bianca might pummel it by you. But she might not. She might be thrown off by lack of pace. Sometimes you just need the rhythm. Mm -hmm. I want to posit something here. I think that there are many women on the WTA Tour who have contributed to Bianca Andrescu's rise. Okay. There have been many women over the course of this year who lost matches that maybe they should have won or could have won that allowed Bianca's momentum and confidence to build. So they were sacrificed at the altar of Andrescu? I don't know what that means, (laughs) per se, but I know that Venus... In Auckland, Kerber mm-hmm. in Miami, mm-hmm. Pliskova in Canada, Kazatkina in Canada. These are all three set matches that Bianca won deep in the third set. Maybe less so Venus, but still. That had those matches swung a certain way, Bianca could have left those tournaments with a little bit more doubt <laughs> right. in her game. And instead, she gets to the US Open final not having lost a completed match since February. That was something that we, right. we kept hearing about. And it's not that she wasn't challenged. It wasn't that she was impregnable all year. It was that she, she kept finding ways to win in clutch situations. And I feel like there's some women who are complicit in that. That's just, that's, that's just all I'm saying. I mean, they didn't want to lose. <laughs> but you, I, I wonder what it's like to be a player and forget what it's like to lose. You know, you've been winning for months now, and you must 
you must be riding this wave of confidence that no matter what happens in this match, I'm going to think my way out of it. I'm going to be able to fight for every point. Like, that's what we've seen from her. And that's why I was scared going into this final. Because I thought this woman could take this title very easily. Mm -hmm. I looked at some of the odd makers <laughs> lines and I was mm -hmm. like, wow, y'all are in for a world of right. hurt. And I know I always say never pick a player to win who hasn't won a major before. Like, judge people on their past performance. Mm -hmm. But in this case, her momentum and the the mental game that she gives off was just so overwhelming to me. What does it feel like to beat your first eight top ten opponents? Who does that? Exactly. And we were talking way back uh, in the spring when she won Indian Wells. Oh, is that when we may have coined She the North? We did, yeah. Is that when that happened? Yes. Because that's become a thing. We're just going to sit here and eat our food because we can't retroactively now claim those coins. No. But the receipts are there. March, you can look at our episode. It's simply titled She the North. So you're welcome, Canadian media. You could also argue that we inspired the Raptors NBA Finals run. Oh, we did? No. How so? <laughs> Maybe that's a stretch. I think that's a fabrication. <laughs> my, my point in saying the, the complicitness of these women, right? Wow. <laughs> Not to harp on wow. this. But it's unusual that somebody gets to have this kind of momentum unstemmed throughout the course of a year. And I mm. think it's it's aided by the fact that she was out for all those months injured. Had she played those months, she would have lost some. There's no way. Uh, yeah, yeah. You should have suffered through maybe a crisis, of, a crisis of confidence on grass, maybe not transitioning well to grass and then having to transition back to hard court and make those subtle changes. Instead, she's basically on hard courts all year. Right. This is not to diminish her potential, I think we were one of the first ones in mainstream. Oh, nope, not mainstream. We ain't mainstream. <laughs> that that talk about tennis, that cover tennis, to really shine a light on Bianca and her potential rising star. But we wouldn't have expected this to happen so soon. No. Her potential was prodigious. This... I think a lot of things fell into place for this to happen so soon for her. Oh, wow. I would be more generous than you are, which is crazy. Because oh. on Saturday, I wasn't feeling generous at all. Listen, I'm not saying she's not a prodigy, mm. that she won't win 15 slams, that she's not going to be number one. I just think certain things happen to aid it happening so mm. quickly. I was surprised. I mean, the run in Canada shocked me because she was just coming off that injury and nobody really knew where the shoulder was at. And it is potentially a catastrophic type of energy injury for a tennis player and ran through that draw it wasn't easy she had a lot of three set matches she didn't run through the draw she got a retirement in the final mm -hmm. but coming into the u.s open it was like nothing could phase her she was tripped up in the townsend match by the crowd she was annoyed that they were so partisan and she was annoyed in the final as well and there was a little bit of brattiness plugging her ears and you know that's yeah. a little bit theatrical because look where you are she is the most dramatic player on tour. <laughs> the biggest drama queen ever, uh -huh. according to a former three-time slam champion. <laughs> Who failed to beat her twice in back-to-back -back weeks. Wow. So the most complicit of them all. <laughs> right. She created this monster. Angie Kerber <laughs> did this, y'all. Yeah. But look at, you know, some of the, the accomplishments here. 
Andreescu wins her first major in only her fourth appearance in a Grand Slam main draw. Her first U.S. Open. Like well, Rafa Nadal winning Roland Garros in his first appearance. Who else was the last person to do that? Monica Seles yeah. won Roland Garros in her fourth main draw Grand Slam appearance. She was, but Monica was 16 years old. Yes, and she also won like eight practically in a row after that. I was curious about other prodigies, like Martina Hingis. Okay. She won her first major in her ninth appearance. Steffi, her 12th. Venus made the U.S. Open final in only her third Grand Slam appearance and her first U.S. Open. I I lived that. I remember that vividly. And we know it took Venus a few more years to get over that hump after Serena did. But another prodigy, Chris Evert, made the semifinals in her very first Grand Slam, but one on her eighth appearance which again all of these all of these numbers are amazing legendary mm-hmm. which should give you some perspective as to how difficult it is to do it on only your fourth mm-hmm. andrescu is a difficult to pinpoint from a viewing perspective the exact nature of her prowess because for the most part she's not out here blitzing people in straight sets In some instances, she's fighting through three-set matches, struggling against some players that you would think maybe she shouldn't be struggling against, Taylor Townsend, for one, but she's always able to get the job done. And she's able to get the job done in varying ways. Yeah. And she's able to rely on so many different weapons to do it. She hit the ball harder in the final than she did all tournament because she had to. It was a different opponent against... Who did she play in the semifinals? Against Benchich. There were times in the in the semifinal when you were like, is she even able to hit through the court? It looked like she was really struggling to find pace at all in that match. Right. Whereas in the final, there were some returns and some forehand winners in particular that were electric. It was yeah. flying. She, at certain points was pushing Serena back from the baseline. That's wild. Yes. There were times in the first set when Serena was in those rallies. This wasn't the Serena in the early first set of other recent slams where she's struggling to find the court. She was in those rallies for a lot of them, and Bianca was able to out-hit her for the most part. Mm -hmm. And, well, because her strokes are so heavy, because it's coming back fast, but with a lot of topspin as well. So you can see these balls kind of skid off the line and bounce up high. Her game reminds me a lot of watching Capriati. Yeah, like that's they a have good call. Similar, yeah. you know, they look kind of similar. They hit this heavy ball. They both can move pretty well, but they're not the best movers on tour. They're physically their game is imposing. But we've you know we've seen Serena out hit before. Yes, you, you know. this has been one of your yeah pet peeves this this tournament this this narrative that serena is the most powerful player on tour she beat madison keys in australia i i want to say i can't remember if it was 2015 i think it was 2015 and madison had her pinned back far from most of the match serena won that match but it was a matter of figuring out how to deal with that power and then give it back Chris Everett loves to talk about serena's power being the most imposing on tour and we know that like Based on the data, we actually know that's not true. She doesn't mm-hmm. hit the heaviest or fastest ball. Her game is way more complete than that. And you can see against Bianca, there are players who are capable of rushing her a lot. 
And she, of course, is not as fast as she was when she played Madison at that Australian Open. But I think this her fitness is by far the best it's been since her return. Yes, there, there know, are actually some positives to take from yeah, this final. Yeah. She was moving in and out of corners a lot easier than she has been. She's got Mackie Shillstone back, which is, I think, always a good sign. Her defensive game was a lot better yeah. because her movement was right. better. So the final wasn't great, period, for Serena. That four-game stretch in the second set <laughs> coming back from 1-5 down was electric. Yeah. I've never seen a crowd, let alone a U.S. crowd, sadly, mm. root for Serena as much as they did in those four games. Mm. I mean, the crowd was a whole mess and a half. Oh, man. That's something we'll talk about <laughs> later, but... New York has been drunk. All of this that we've been talking about kind of haphazardly is to say... If you're a Serena fan, this sucks. It sucked for you, big time, on your birthday. Right. I mean, it hurts if you're a fan. But, so the finals thing is clear, there's clearly a huge mental block there. But physically, like the game, I think there's a lot to be encouraged by. Mm -hmm. Sure, there's a mental block, but we've seen now people are goating in these finals. And in some way, it's not surprising, nor should it be. Mm. You get to the final, you're playing good ball. Oh, yeah. And you are now, let's not use the word intimidated, because that in reference to Serena is just wildly (laughs) overblown. All right. Uh, But it is, it's no longer a case where you are awed by the prospect of playing Serena Williams in a final, because poor Wang Chung's coach, who said all that before her match, and then Serena blitzed her saying that this is not the Serena of old kind of mm, thing. Right. There is truth to that. People got mad. Mad People as hell. really mad. And I think if you're her coach, you have to give her hope and you have to give her a plan. Yeah. You know, you, you say, listen, you're not playing Serena who won the Serena Slam 2.0. This is Serena now. Go yeah. out and face the opponent on the other side of the net. Yeah. Not her resume. It Play didn't, her. It didn't work for Wong that night. Right. Because Serena brought everything that day right but in slam finals that's an absolute motivating tool that a coach should deploy why because not? we've seen it now mm. do we need more evidence than 43 percent first serve percentage right. in a slam final mm. looking entirely frustrated a crybaby renaring in between sets on the changeover <laughs> Like, there's a lot to inspire belief in opponents in a Grand Slam final mm. when you are yourself a well-oiled machine at that point. Right. This should not be surprising anymore. What's interesting to me, looking forward, is Serena is still very eager. She's impressed afterward, and she's talking about how, you know, it. it, it, it I don't know. I have to figure out how to deal with these situations better. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that she's still incredibly eager Her fitness is only going to get better if she stays healthy. And we are likely to see this happen again, where she's giving herself another opportunity. Right. And that's why a third set would have been fascinating to me, because I don't want to wait another four months to see it again, or then maybe (laughs) another four months after that. Yeah. That third set against Bianca could have been telling in a lot of ways. It could have answered a lot of questions. It could have... I'm sure answered a lot of questions for Serena. It could have made this whole process more rapid. The other thing to say after speaking so haphazardly 
is to praise Bianca Andreescu because, as we said, this is unprecedented. Untrue. It's precedented, but not very precedented. <laughs> right, right. And it's very unique. We were saying earlier in the year that Bianca's run as a young player is reminiscent of some of the all-time greats, right? The, the record against top opponents, these title runs... It's, it's She's putting together a resume that not many people have at that mm-hmm. stage of their career. And to me, like the head-to-heads are, are really the most jarring part of that. It's impossible to know what her future is, but can you, <laughs> can you imagine going out against Andreescu in a final now and thinking that you have a chance? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Which is why I'm, li- I'm going to be honest here. I'm pressed about this situation. Not, not because I don't like Andreescu or I'm not happy for her, or I'm bitter about Serena losing. I feel like there have been str- she's lacked moments of strife mm. to really challenge yeah. her confidence. And what, what Serena was two games away from really putting that on display. Yeah. Like, let's see how you do now in a third set with a, a charging Serena coming back, getting more confidence in a third set. I feel like she's been pushed but not mm. really tipped over you. the edge. I hear you. And Benchich did not push her in the crucial moments. No. Benchich choked on important points. That was so sad to watch. Yes. Because Belinda has been through it with mm-hmm. injuries. And while she's tried it with us beating our faves in the <laughs> past, you know, she's somebody who herself is prodigiously talented. Yes. And typically impervious to that kind of pressure when she gets to a stage like a semifinal. She hasn't been there in a Grand Slam, but the way that she plays top players in places like Dubai, in Toronto in 2015, she is not cowed by these occasions at all. No, but she she leads by a break in the first set, loses it, and then is up 5-2 against Bianca in the second set, mm. loses that set. Yeah. And not just because Bianca starts to find her groove, but there was, as you said, some choke jobbing going on. Yeah. And against Naomi, Bencic was playing video game tennis. Mm-hmm. It, the ball was going exactly where she needed to go. She was absorbing pace and giving it back. I looked at her in that match and was thinking, well, I don't want any of my faves to play her ever. <laughs> because I felt yeah. at that moment she could beat anyone on the planet. So you ask, is the, what do you feel like when you go against Bianca in a final now? Should you have any belief? I want to see her more regularly on tour being pressed by these mm-hmm. players yeah yes she's great already yes she's super talented but i feel like so many women have dropped the ball <laughs> in crucial situations this year when it's not all her prowess at play and i want to see her and how she responds in those situations mm. would i be shocked if she still wins them not at all <laughs> right but i would like to see it a spare a thought for Alina Svitolina, who had an excellent tournament, has now, since winning the WTA Finals last year, reached her best stage at Grand Slams twice, reaching the semifinals at Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. Back to back. Played just excellent tennis for five rounds. Uh, the match against Madison Keys, especially. You know, Madison had been on such a run. She didn't handle the occasion very well. She didn't go to her plan B. But Svitolina stayed the course in that match. Her serving was excellent. And I expected a different Svitolina to face Serena. Like, I thought that was going to be a very, very difficult match. And I'm surprised it wasn't. But 
Svitolina is only getting better at majors. I don't think we can say anymore that, oh, she's got a Grand Slam problem. Because she doesn't. No. And for all of her winning that she did, the biggest push that she got was from Venus in the second round. Mm. Yeah. 39-year-old Venus Williams out here giving these women trouble. (laughs) That's all I got. Like, I'm I'm hanging my hat on that. That's my silver lining. Yeah. I want to uh, transition into the men's side of the draw with this comparison between Bianca and Daniel Medvedev. And the reason at the beginning of the episode, I I said that this felt like an end of decade slam because I feel that we have really ushered in a new generation of champions with those two. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities between them. Mm. It's, it's especially the mental side of things. So they both came in on incredible runs, mm-hmm. successful summers. Yes. They both obviously have very impressive physical gifts and innate talent. Innate talent, yes. Medvedev's game is not the most natural-looking game, but it's very effective. But what are his physical what? gifts? He's fast. Okay. For a tall guy, he's okay. fast. Okay. And mm-hmm. also, it is a gift being tall. And you moving know? that well for yeah. being that tall. Okay. Okay. But the thing that sets them apart is that they have this seemingly natural confidence about them and the ability to call on that confidence when it is most needed. Medvedev did not obviously cross the finish line last night, but he was very, very close. He was also very close to being blown out in three sets, and he dug in. He is flexible mentally. He can think on his feet. He believes that he deserves to be there, the same way that Bianca does. The other similarity is that they're both open about the sort of mental techniques. Bianca talks about visualization all the time. She wrote herself a check for winning the US Open years ago, visualizing that she was going to hold this check one day. Medvedev actually travels with a sports psychologist. I thought you were going to say he travels with a check. (laughs) He does now. (laughs) But Medvedev has a sports psychologist on his team who comes to these tournaments. I just see this tournament as not necessarily the end of an era or a changing of the guard, just Mm. as kind of a blessing of these two new formidable players joining the ranks. Okay. I agree with so much of what you said. So So much. But. But I don't know that Medvedev is going to be a big-time champion going forward. Okay. I don't know that. Bianca? Sure, I can say this because she won, but Mm. absolutely, (laughs) yes. Only because I feel like we are still a ways away from the big three loosening their grip on these big titles. Yes. We're still a ways away. And we've now had three full slam seasons since somebody other than one of Rafa, Novak, or Roger won a slam. Yeah. That's wild. That is wild. There's no other way to describe it except for synonyms for wild. <laughs> so the only the only non-big three or big four winners in this decade were Chilich and Wawrinka, right? Del Potro hasn't won since 2009. In this decade? The previous decade. Andy Murray? Big four, right? Yeah, non-big mm-hmm. four. Oh, okay. Yes. I corrected myself. Okay. Actually, so Tamani Cariel wrote this great piece for the ringer that came out last week about 
what will tennis look like when the big four and Serena are gone? Mm-hmm. And he quoted David Avakian, who was a Dutch journalist, saying that it's really important that the next generation on the ATP actually beats the big three. Not that they benefit from their retirement, not that they just sort of walk in after these guys retire, but that they actually challenge them while they're still playing well. And I think you could argue that while Medvedev did not win, he definitely made a name for himself in that final. Sure. But you're likely, if you're to win one of these things, you're likely having to beat at least two of them. Mm-hmm. This time around, Medvedev would have only had to have beaten one. Right. Most times, and we've seen in the past, sure, he took out he took out Djokovic, but what's the net effect of that? Oh, yeah. 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 I, I, my point is, yeah, sure, but I feel like we're still a little ways away from that. He's oh, definitely agree. put himself as... The solid number four on the ATP mm. tour, maybe even number three. Well, this happened very fast. And I mean, surface is important too. Yeah, I mean, De- Medvedev is a kind of guy who you just can't count him out on anything. Well, all of so a sudden. I, I don't think, yeah, sure, he had the amazing hardcourt run, but I don't think his game is something that won't translate to other surfaces. Mm. I'm not saying it. it's going to happen now. But I'm saying that he's announced himself as somebody who is mentally there. Yes. The mental part? Absolutely. Mm. To come back from two sets and a breakdown, to force a fourth, control for the most part the fourth set, have break points to go up a break in the fifth set, and then you find yourself down double break in the fifth set, Mm -hmm. and then you're a few swings from evening it up in the fifth (laughs) set against Nadal. Nadal is 209-1 and at Grand Slams after winning, what, the first set or something? The first two sets. The first two sets, yeah. So this dude is out here able to troubleshoot in ways that we know 99% of the ATP Tour isn't able to. Right. And the big difference to me is that he has looked physically a wreck for at least five rounds (laughs) how was he able to be still standing almost five hours into that match after his entire summer that he's had he made the finals in dc made the finals in montreal won cincinnati we thought he would have been way too tired to win cincinnati he did that got a week off he's like i'm good I'll make the finals of the U.S. Open, and I'll play five hours against Rafa Nadal. <laughs> right. No big deal. What was it, his third round, where people thought he was actually going to retire from that match? He yeah. he looked a mess, physically. Mm-hmm. But somehow, it was very uh, Djokovician, if I may, the way that he was able to deal with these sort of nagging injuries, his extreme exhaustion, and decide, you know what? I don't have anything to lose in this final I don't want to. I don't want to be straight setted. I'm going to fight as hard as I can to win this, and he could have. I don't understand the comparison to Djokovic there. Well, because Djokovic is one of the best fighters the game has ever seen. Because he's he deals with injuries in finals and you know gets through it. See, I couldn't tell if you were being shady no, or not. legitimate. I'm not at okay. all. Okay. Rafa has won 19 Grand Slam titles. Not what, four years ago, when Rafa wasn't even 30 years old, we were pondering if this was the end of his slam-winning ways. It looked bleak in 2015. Mm -hmm. And 2016. 
considering we had been told his entire career that this would not happen, that he would not be competing and winning these titles in his mid-30s. Like the, the physical nature of his game would not allow it. And what's happened is Nadal has made changes to his game, so much so that he is coming to net 60-plus times in that five-set match. Mm. He was serving volleying as a tactic in the fifth set against Medvedev. Some of those rallies that they played were very ropadopey. Yes. And the tactical shifts that we saw from both players throughout that match, while it wasn't always compelling to watch, it was... It was interesting, nonetheless, to see them both troubleshoot to get by each yeah, other. Yeah, and you can acknowledge that it was impressive, but at times, f- just in my opinion, it was mind-numbing. <laughs> it was fucking dire. <laughs> you know? And I know a lot of people are saying that this is a classic at this point, and it very well may be. I I am not the judge of those things. But at some points in that final, I was like, oh my lord. The, you know, this baseline grinding, the way that Medvedev can make his opponents look slow and terrible. It's a talent. His defensive skills are crazy. Yeah, yeah. Part of that has to do with his wingspan. Is there an ATP player that has a wider wingspan, a more capable wingspan? I'm sure John Isner has a wider... John Isner has a wider... He has a big wingspan, but what the fuck can he do (laughs) on a tennis court laterally? (laughs) (laughs) What this big dude is able to do running side to side Mm. in the corners on a tennis court against somebody like Nadal is crazy. Well, yeah. And it's not often that you see an opponent win more of the long rallies against Nadal unless you're Djokovic, Mm -hmm. right? Like He's pretty much the only one who does that consistently. I've seen a lot of the punditry say that Nadal is playing better than ever. And I do not agree with that. I think Nadal is playing differently than ever. Mm. Yeah. And there are certain parts of his game that are not as fearless and not as good as it was even 10 years ago. His forehand at times is not what it was. It misfires in some key situations, but he now has more tools. Oh, yeah. He has a bigger serve. He no longer is relying on percentages, but more so power. So he will sacrifice his first serve percentage knowing that if he wins 80% of his first serves that he does get in, that will be a more impactful Mm. stat going forward. And it's something that he was able to rely on in the fifth set. Yes. If you're not necessarily struggling, but if you're being pressed by your opponent on serve and facing repeated break points in crucial situations, we know that that's a huge asset to be able to draw on. And that's not something that he's always had. If you follow tennis, you know now that his backhand is much improved. He can serve and volley. He can hit drop shots. He's good at net. He has a more well-rounded arsenal to deploy. He had those before, but they're more potent. He has more potent weapons that he can draw on if one or two are not necessarily firing. Right. And you know that his overhead is one of the best in the game, if not the best. Mm -hmm. We saw Rafa get genuinely nervous in the fourth set and the fifth set. Served for it once at 5-2 and got broken. Served for it at 5-4 and very, very nearly got broken again. He is human. And I don't know what accounts for the nervousness. If it's 
just because this is the US Open and he wanted it so much, or if he's older, or because Medvedev was putting so much pressure on him consistently on the return. But uh, it was, I thought it was a very smart match from Rafa, even if he probably should have won a little sooner than he did. How do you not get nervous if you have two sets and a break lead over Medvedev, somebody you just beat 6-3-6 love, but you know what he's capable of mm. and you see it coming? Right. And you right. see it coming in ways that you don't necessarily anticipate and you feel it slipping away. You feel 19 slipping away. Rafa doesn't <laughs> want to concede that Fed's 20 is a goal for him. He talks about how you don't really be jealous about what your neighbor has. Yes. You mow your own front lawn. If you if he has a bigger boat, then it's fine. Well, really? Rafa can say that because nobody has a bigger boat than <laughs> Rafa. <laughs> he just sold his boat and is getting a bigger one. Right, right. Uh, but I think you can tell that that's all kind of bullshit. And he's letting on more and more that it is actually something he thinks about. He just doesn't want to talk about it. Mm. And so when you have this golden opportunity to get to 19, and let's face it, Nadal's ride to the final, rider, road, path, what have you, was not that was not that hard, <laughs> relatively speaking. And sure. you get in position now where you are a stone's throw away and you feel it slipping away when perhaps you feel like you let a couple other slams slip away in your career, but even if you didn't let it slip away, the, your body failed you in 2014, you probably feel like you let 2017 Australian Open mm. slip away. It's it's natural. And we know that when you get older as a tennis player, nerves come into play right. a lot more. Because you know that the chances are finite now. You have a bigger and better grasp of your own mortality as a tennis player. And you know what it takes and to get in. And as a person. Yeah. I just had a birthday. I get it. <laughs> when you're in your 30s, you think about death. You kn <laughs> Maybe that's just me. <laughs> that's very morbid. Uh, my point here was that you understand your tennis mortality much more and you know what it takes to get into these positions and you don't know for sure that you'll ever have them again. Right. So Rafa closes the decade as the most successful U.S. Open player, winning four titles this decade, which is um, a little surprising when you step back and look at it. He has more than Djokovic. Djokovic has three. Federer has five. Altogether. Altogether. Yes. Throughout their careers. And the argument that Nadal is a one-trick pony, it, it's so disingenuous at this point. Well, you see, finally, like the myths about the big three are breaking down. About all three of them. They just don't make sense anymore. And that's one of them. Is that Rafa is a clay court specialist or... He only excels on slow surfaces, because we know that's not true now. Nadal and Medvedev got to the final by beating two players in the semifinals. Nadal beat Matteo Berrettini, who I was very unkind to in the previous episode. You were. And for all, for all the lack of mental prowess that he showed in his Wimbledon loss to Federer, he showed that in spades against Rafa. Like we saw that this dude is actually super talented mm -hmm. and and could do damage. Especially as, against Monfils. Yes. I mean, as much as you're here singing the praises of Medvedev deservedly, we also have a window into another person who could be the future of the ATP tour that's leapfrogging a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. Yes, and wasn't a particularly standout junior. 
interestingly enough, had to kind of grow into his game. He wasn't seen as a, a great champion by the Italian Federation. One of the things that generated a lot of buzz, I just said that like Billy Porter buzz, <laughs> was his looks. This sure. tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, uh, I tweeted something that a lot of folks dragged me for, and that's fine. I said that Bertini is not as hot as, as y'all make him out to be. And that's a matter of personal taste. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to comment on that because I, I don't need to be dragged. I've already been dragged hard enough by Brad Gilbert twice. You're such a sellout and <laughs> such a disappointment to me. That because is, we've talked. That is incredibly We've rude. talked so much privately about how you agree with me. And at every but, turn over the last two but weeks. But not always. At every turn over the last two weeks. When given the opportunity to stick up for me, like you claim you do, when I'm in peril, you will be at my at my side, mm-hmm. at my back. You were MIA, and not well, only just MIA, this is but not peril. working actively against me. <laughs> I'm like Serena. I find pleasure in making fun of my family mm-hmm. and friends publicly. You're a fake friend. <laughs> and but can we talk about Brad Gilbert? Okay. Okay, because so. The reason you're saying this is because we were unkind to Berrettini because of his loss at Wimbledon in the very last episode of this podcast. I was. And Brad Gilbert was extremely unkind to Wong Chong after losing to Serena Williams so badly. And he said that her performance was so bad it should be a finable offense. He claimed he was joking. Whatever. And so I replied and I said, red card for this tweet using Brad's terminology and he quote tweeted me just to attract all his bro trolls his brawls and his brawls yeah bro trolls troll bro whatever i just made it up and all i said and then in reply all i said was it's just kind of a low blow which is what it exactly what it is she won one game give her a break i mean her coach died this year give her a fucking break like did you not just watch that vignette before the match and so then he quote tweeted me again to attract the bros and said, obviously you don't understand beatdown humor. What What is beatdown humor? I told you all on the last episode that I'm generally not a sports fan. So clearly this is not my milieu. I'm just not cut out for it. When I can get trolled by somebody who can barely write in the English language. Wow. Which is his native tongue. But he can write in his own language. Which is what? Indecipherable (laughs) to people who speak English. I was annoyed and amused at the same time. I mean, he could have given you a red card back, but he only gave you a yellow card. He was, I think he was particularly vexed because I used his terminology correctly. Well. 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 Mr. Gilbert. Next question. <laughs> Grisha. Speaking of Dimitrov. speaking of people who are that hot. W- were we speaking? Bertini. Oh, oh okay. Uh, Grigor wore the hell out of that kit. He has found ways to mitigate the hairline situation with the headband. Mm-hmm. And he was resurgent. Something I will take issue with. Darren Cahill, who I think is miles above most folk who comment on tennis, who opine. Oh, absolutely. He's excellent. I disagreed with him when he he kind of said that Grigor's 
2017, was it? Was Lucky. Yeah, yeah. when he won the World yeah. Tour Finals. He won Cincinnati, and then he won the World Tour Finals, and he got up to world number high something. Three. Three. Three is his peak. And he, well, Darren listed all the players who did not play yeah. in those World Tour Finals. Like, wow, girl. <laughs> <laughs> let, the man, let the man have his moment here. <laughs> like, he still did all that. And uh, let's not forget that... that Grigor pushed Rafa to five sets in Australia. Yes. He had a lot of good moments that year. Sure, he didn't have to go through the super big names to win those titles, but we know Grisha has a certain pedigree. And who he has been the last year, for whatever reason, be they injury or lack of confidence or what have you, is not the Grisha that we think he can be. Right. So the commentators can be really unfair to players who have been dealing with injuries consistently. And and that's across all players. They conveniently forget that they were out because of injury and they were playing poorly, not because they're bad, but because there was something seriously wrong with them. And Greg has been playing through this shoulder injury. Greg. Greg. Okay, yeah. Gregor. Okay. And we know from following him on social media that he's not out here vacationing. He has been putting in the work. Yes. And nobody, the match where all that talk was happening was early on in that Federer match where Grisha beat Federer in five sets. And no, the tenor of that was that nobody gave him a shot against Federer that day. And boy, yeah. did he prove them wrong. Mm-hmm. And the way the commentators talk about Federer is that only he is dealing with the elements and the conditions of the match. Like, it's, it, you know, it's only hard for him. And as the match went on, it became clear that he was physically compromised. So I don't take any pleasure in Grigor, like, beating him down. It was still a great victory because you do face a, a particular challenge playing an injured opponent. And especially when it's an injured goat. Mm-hmm. Federer still could have got gotten through that match against an inferior player yes maybe it puts into perspective just how much players aren't forthcoming about their physical health mm-hmm. wasn't it just a couple of weeks ago that federer said he was coming into the u.s open feeling better than he ever has or something like yes. that yeah you side-eyed that and it's possible that he picked this up at some point during this tournament and he said that he hadn't been feeling that great the back hadn't been feeling that great for a while pam shriver tried to get ahead of that as you know (laughs) and said because he told us in cincinnati that he had been caravanning Mm -hmm. after wimbledon which i guess is the european way to say like motorhome beats me i I didn't really care to know or investigate (laughs) i just like okay this is something i will not know entirely what it means so pam was like well you know that's hard on your back He's not going to be able to. He's not going to be in peak physical condition if he was caravanning. I'm like, what kind of caravan do you think the Federers have? You think it's like a pop up? Grigor started the tournament, what in the 80s in the rankings, and he's up to number 25 Mm. on his way to where he belongs. And honestly, not for nothing, to see a good guy have success. Like a legitimate good guy. Mm. Somebody who's been around for a long time now. He's 28. To get to be 28 on the ATP tour 
and nobody has anything problematic to say about you, that's not nothing. Right. It is not nothing in this day and age. <laughs> and so I am I'm happy for him. I'm legit happy for him. And I uh, wish him well. I wish him luck. <laughs> we did not get Fidal. No. And I did, you know, don't want to say I told you so, but I did tell you so that we weren't going to get it. We've never had that matchup in New York, ever. When Novak lost to Stan while we were recording our last episode, us already, the second Novak walked off the court, people were saying, well, now we can get it at Fidel Final. It, it's a little mean-spirited. Also, who really wants it? Do, do we want it in there, New York? There are people who want it. At this stage in their careers, do we need it? I don't need it. <laughs> I don't need it. The crowd control uh, problems in Arthur Ashe Stadium seem to have reached ahead this year. New York is always crazy, right? It's always loud, obnoxious. In the in the upper decks, you can walk around at will. I guess the ushers don't they don't care if you're walking around during points and stuff because you're so far away from the action. But it seemed I know we deal with this every year, but this year it seemed especially problematic that in basically every single televised match on ash there were delays because people were walking around on in the lower deck it makes tennis look kind of silly don't you think like it it just seems like such an easy problem to fix and maybe if you're a new yorker you would say actually no it's not an easy problem because this is just new york and you're going to have to deal with it. Does it make tennis look silly? Do people understand that you should not be doing that? If you're filling Ash, you're filling it with how many tens of thousands of people? Mm, yeah. How many of those people actually know etiquette? Well, sure. but And how many of the people watching TV, watching this match, would know that that's not something that should be done? They'd be like, well, why can't he just serve? Like, well, what's the big deal? But that's why you have staff. Just because Jenny from the block is getting up to get a popcorn? <laughs> like, I don't understand. I understand that there are a lot of rich people in those lower bowls, like the lower bowl in Ash, who are probably huffing and puffing and pushing their way past ushers. I am sympathetic to that. But it, to me, it just makes tennis look a little dumb that they can't stop this. That every single match, the umpire is like on his own trying to control this crowd these are not what can he do from the yeah, chair look these are not employees these are ushers who are volunteers right. who are getting a ticket to go watch a match some somehow and they're like i don't blame them well it's a, it's a thankless I mean, job i think the bigger issue with the crowd is how fucking disrespectful they were at every turn yeah. this tournament they were really neck and neck with the paris crowd there was a lot of booing for no reason there was booing sometimes for good reason but they just seemed keyed up and ready to boo people for no reason. Yeah, I'm, I'm less I'm less about this topic than you are. <laughs> okay, fine. I felt that in the men's final, the chair umpire Ali Nili could have done a better job controlling the crowd or at least giving the players leeway. And of course, you can say that Rafa definitely overstepped as far as slowing down the pace of the server, which it's not his job. It's the umpire's job. But I did feel that the umpire lost control a little bit of sort of keeping the players abreast of how to handle this noise between points. Yeah. Because Allison Hughes, as usual, did an excellent job mm -hmm. of managing that. Yeah. 
it's it's amazing to me how at every turn, More. be it Eva Azdaraki, who was tasked with umping Nikirios and Medvedev, Medvedev after he'd had those run-ins with the U.S. crowd. Mm. It seems like when the U.S. Open needed stability on court, they called on one of their boss women to do <laughs> yes. it. Or they call Mariana Veljevic. Mm-hmm. Like we know they're a stable of top-class, first-rate, level-headed women who can deal with these situations. And this hasn't always been the case with the men. <laughs> and what I want to say here is this final, this men's final, put into... Oh, it just made it so clear just how subjective umpiring can be mm-hmm. and how much discretion they have. This time violation thing, again, we we talked about in the final how maybe Ramos could have exercised more discretion last year, that he had that at his, right. at his disposal. Mm-hmm. This umpire this year had that as well. He could have called the score five seconds after he did, because that's when the shot clock starts. Mm-hmm. The the serve clock starts. Once he says 15 love, that's when the 25 seconds start. Most umpires, I understand, I take it to understand, tend to give a little bit more leeway. And for me, it's a bit wild that you aren't able to exercise more judgment, more subjectivity at the four-hour mark, the four four-and-a-half-hour mark in a fifth-set Grand Slam final to maybe give two to five more seconds before you call the score when something this titanic is happening, mm. when players are going through it physically. Yeah. Like, that. that is wild to me. Man, Maria Francisca Pereo was upset. Mary, I don't think I've ever seen her like that. She's she m- was, you know, yelling something out. The whole Nadal box was mad. And she's never been that vocal. No. Or animated. No. And personally, I don't have a huge problem with that time violation because I know that Rafa does push the limits consistently. And I just wonder if the umpire could have handled the entire situation better. The answer is always yes. <laughs> it's not to say that it it's It is an, a hard job. It's it not is to say really it's an easy job. job. It's, yeah. It is a hard job. But time and again, we see the woman do it better. Just saying. That's also, all. I don't. I don't think it was fair that he was booed. No, I don't. I, I don't. I don't think. That's I think nice. that's trashy. It was Exhibit Fifty Six B of the trashiness <laughs> of the U.S. Open crowd. <laughs> like, leave him alone. And uh, I was sitting there watching that match, and all I could think was, "My lord, my god," my- as Whitney would say, <laughs> "My lord." What? What is Mary sitting there thinking? with this two-set lead in a Grand Slam final slipping away to potentially have this hovering, lingering over her wedding <laughs> her wedding in October. Like, can you imagine? She's like, we've been engaged for like 25 years. I'm not going <laughs> to deal with this morose Rafa Nadal at my wedding. <laughs> you had something here earlier on in the agenda that you kind of let slip. Mm. It says here on the agenda that you're starting to understand the Serena Patrick relationship more. Yes. Uh, Ten years in. Well, eight, seven, eight years in. Something that she said, you know, flashed a light bulb above my head. Because we've been, especially I, have been going really hard on Patrick for saying things like, oh, if I had the chance, 
I would do the same thing as I did last U.S. Open. Like, you know, if you could relive the whole final, would you have coached? And he said, yes, I would totally do it again. Mad, mad, yeah. And so mad. I, was, I was so mad about it. And then Serena was asked about his comments, and she said, he's just having fun with you guys. He knows better than to say that to me. And it, all of a sudden, like, all this stuff clicked into place. I'm like, oh, I get it. I get it. What do you get? Like, Richard Williams. Richard Williams. She grew up with this bombastic dad who would say things that probably embarrassed them sometimes but they just sort of laughed it off somebody who cares about them deeply obviously and maybe maybe patrick cares about her deeply too <laughs> i didn't i never gave him that credit but you know we actually saw this in the venus and serena documentary years ago where things would happen with Richard and Venus and Serena would just kind of giggle and laugh it off because like, oh yeah, that's our dad. He's crazy. You know, or when we saw that young man approach them and say, I'm your brother. And they're like, oh yeah, probably. You know, they grew up with this larger than life personality who wanted the best for them, but who sometimes said things that were, that were a little bit crazy. And they learned to just laugh it off or deal with it or whatever. And I think when Patrick says things like that, Serena's like, I am well equipped to handle a man who says things on my behalf that I may not always agree with. Okay, but he's not her father. No, no, definitely not. But I get maybe it makes sense that this man, she gives a, a certain leeway to. What makes more sense to me is that she considers Patrick family. Maybe. And I can... You always tell me that, wow, you give that person way more leeway than you would like any other person. Yeah. You say, well, if so-and-so had done that, they would have been out the door, out your life, <laughs> right. post-haste. And I always explain to you, like, when you have a bond with somebody, when you've invested a lot of time, be it a blood relation or a deep friendship connection, you will suffer personal emotional losses at the hands of that person because that that relationship means something the history of it means something yeah that you're willing to give that person the benefits of the doubt in certain situations that you're willing to allow them to make mistakes in your relationship mm -hmm. and perhaps that's what it is sure i mean i don't know their relationship but when when she said that when she kind of laughed it off a lot of things started to make sense for me. Okay. Doubles results. Doubles. Your number one men's doubles team, Cabal and Farah, won their second straight Grand Slam. Because they had previously won the Australian Open. What? They I'm, won ju I'm just checking to oh, see if you're, if you're paying, paying attention. It. That's all. Yeah, they won Wimbledon this year. Okay. They had, this is their third final overall. They were at an Australian Open final previously, but now they've won two straight. Number one, beating surprise finalist Granoyers and Ceballos in the final. Robert Farah is, if you are in the market for ATP thirst, his is an Instagram you should probably be following. Mm -hmm. And he has a very cute dog. I did not know yeah, you weren't looking where at you were the going dog. with that. Oh. <laughs> On the women's side, Ash Barty and Victoria Azarenka reached the final. They pretty much destroyed crowd favorites Coco Goff and Katie McNally. They interspersed beatdowns with wild events yes. throughout this tournament. Wow. 
Wow. Goff and McNally, for their part, beat number nine seed Melikar and Peshka, who were the runners-up last year. Barty Azarenka knocked out the number one seed, Tomeo Babosh and Kiki Madenovic. Man, it feels like two months ago that Kiki Mladenovic beat Angie Kerber in the first yes, round. Yes, that's because nothing happened after that. <laughs> that was it. Shout out to Vanya King and Caroline Dolahide. King makes the semifinal in women's doubles after being out of the game for a long time. She's actually a two-time slam winner with Shvedova, but she has not been to a final since 2010 and has not been to a Grand Slam semifinal since, I think, 2011. So a really awesome comeback, an awesome story for her. In the final, Sabalenka Martins defeats Bazarenka 7-5-7-5. Oh, sorry. Sabalenka and Mertens have never won a major before, but they won the Sunshine Double this year in doubles, Indian Wells in Miami. Sabalenka's week has been super interesting. And yeah. it mostly has to do with her coaching relationship with Dmitry Tursunov. You have written here that Sabalenka just never stops being interesting. Really? So David Kane has done a wonderful job of chronicling the timeline of this coaching uh, drama. Do you want to call it drama? Telenovela. <laughs> so Tursunov and Sabalenka announced their split last Friday. Replete with positive thank you, thank you, thank you social mm. media postings. Right. Wish you the best, bon voyage. Clearly they like each other. Yeah. It was an amicable split. However, was it a split? No, because like a couple days later, the following Tuesday, he's at their doubles match. On Wednesday, she posts this Instagram, which will be the subject of our dramatic reading for the week. <laughs> and this weekend, it's still unclear is he Arena's coach or not? Yeah, because even after all of that... He don't know. She don't know. So Jonathan is going to begin Arena's Wednesday Instagram caption. Which one was this one? The most recent one? Uh, this was the epic. The epic, okay. Mm. Found some better pics... What accent should I be? Should I be using don't, an accent? Don't use an accent. So just reading it as me? Unless you can do an incredible Belarusian accent. Yeah, I'm not Don't. Gonna, okay. I'm just going to have fun with it. Found some better picks with D. I just want to say I don't know what's happening right now. Seems like we're crazy. One day everything is okay. Another day we both want to kill each other. But I want to say that I love him as a coach and trust him more than others. Exclamation. And I can feel that we can grow up together and reach our goals. And I don't want I don't want to see somebody else by my side. And he's keep saying, I don't feel that you really need me. I'm like, fuck D, I really need you. But I need that Dimitri who can be on the beginning of our relationships. Strong, smart, calm, and I don't know, real man, real coach. I know some people think who? Dimitri is smart, strong, and calm. No, that's impossible. But I know your real personality, and we, we went through so many things together. And after we went in the hospital because something weird happened with Jason, I was really afraid that something dangerous happened to him. I look at you guys and realize, you're my biggest power and support. I don't want to lose you. Who the fuck is Jason? Oh, now we know. He's a physio. Okay. Just wanted to say it. 
I know it sounds weird, like we are a couple and been together for 30 years, but I think relationships between player and coach, it's something similar to this. I don't know, probably he'll kill me after he reads this. Before you kill me, I just want to say sorry. I wrote it at 2345, so maybe because of that, here's a lot of emotions and lovely. Finn. Spectacular. Wow. What a moment. It was indeed a moment. I absolutely love this woman. <laughs> You're full stand now. Like I don't You're full stand. I don't want it to sound like we're making fun of her because we're not at all. Clearly there are there is a lot of feeling behind this relationship between the two. Dimitri is an excellent coach and obviously they care very much about each other. Well, she seems to think so. <laughs> I mean, what is yeah, the objective yeah, yeah. metric otherwise? All right. It, it seems like he is. That's where I was leading okay. him to. It is just, it is so unusual to see this sort of naked emotion. What is she, a Gen Z? Loose. A Gen Z? Uh, I don't know. Maybe she's a millennial Gen Z. This is, this is what they yeah. do. But to see this look into a coach-player relationship, I mean, we haven't really heard a lot from him on the <laughs> subject. <laughs> But this was uh, properly batshit. What am I supposed to say <laughs> to that? Anyway, again, I'm not trying to make fun of her. I love her game. I like her quite a bit. And she just won her first Grand Slam title with Elise Mertens. Mm. Elise Mertens, for her part, is an excellent doubles player. Has won uh -huh. plenty of titles with Demi Shores. Uh, you just said that... She just won her first Grand Slam title, and most folks would assume that to mean singles title. Right. And that that brings to mind something I noticed over these two weeks, where I kept thinking, what is... Say Serena wins 24, then she wins 25. What is the next goalpost that's coming? And the only other goalpost, really, is to bring in doubles into 63? it. 63? Right. <laughs> Right? Or 62. And it's like, you know, but that's so preposterous. That's <laughs> right, so, right. so, so unrealistic. Until they showed Boris Becker on screen. Oh, Lord. And said in the caption, nine-time slam champion. And you know what? I went to Wikipedia and I said, maybe they're counting doubles. And actually, no, they're not. So it was just an he error? Didn't, he didn't win. <laughs> Three doubles so it was titles. just an error. It was just an error. Okay. They flipped the six okay. upside I'm, down. I'm happy to know <laughs> that now because I was like, wow. That is, I'm like, that is planting the seed bigly. Yeah. Big time. Oh, I know, right? Like this innocuous moment, we're going to start adding doubles yeah, to Slam's yeah, yeah. titles with Boris Becker <laughs> in the fourth round of this match that nobody's watching. <laughs> so no, that when y'all... That was pure fiction. When y'all bring the receipts in five years and be like well back in 2000 when when so and so was doing this y'all didn't count open ear and no. that and that and that and like well look we had nine slam titles for no, boris becker it'll be like lady catherine of aragon won 47 singles titles at the buckingham palace open no, in you, 1563 you're stealing people's intellectual <laughs> property right now <laughs> a love match on the tours do we know this I think we know this now. Matea Berrettini is with Ayla Tomlanovic, who was a long-suffering girlfriend of one Nick Kyrgios, allegedly. 
allegedly suffering or allegedly girlfriend? Allegedly long-suffering. Definitely oh. girlfriend on multiple occasions. Mm-hmm. And now, all of a sudden, she's with the breakout Italian star. Mm-hmm. I am not waiting into straight people business. Mm. I'm just not doing it. That is a respectable position to hold. <laughs> it's At this point, it's a policy. <laughs> you tweeted earlier this week that you had been had, you had been tricked by Naomi Osaka in Cincinnati Press. And yes. a lot of us had been tricked. My, my lord. <laughs> we were in Cincinnati and all this weird shit was happening. We didn't go to all the press conferences, but we'd hear people come back and talk about how, oh my God, what the fuck was Dominic Team talking about? You'll never find three balls in a can of Pringles? Like, and I thought I had missed a joke. I was, I have been confused since that day. Right? Like, I thought I had missed some reference yeah. or joke or... And I think the telltale sign that this was all a big ruse and hoax was when Maria Sharapova issued the same line in her press because she's fairly humorless. But, so, well, I'm like... I'm, no, not humorless. No, I mean, her humor is more targeted. And, uh, yeah, I would say it's a little more dry. Dry and pointed. Mm-hmm. And so, for her to be talking about a fucking can of Pringles, something is awry. But, you know, we are... What are we? We are... We're not that curious when it comes to these things or maybe we're just naive okay the point is this was a long-running joke set up what was it uh jimmy fallon Mm -hmm. late show or whatever show what is the tonight show um whatever jay leno's show whatever the uncle tomary of white people for late night tv is that's his oh wow yeah Yeah, y'all remember that i did not say that the white person did not use that terminology whatever the one where the one where the person was playing with donald trump's wig yes yes that one uh he just wanted to shift it a little Mm -hmm. Uh, jimmy fallon set up this long-running joke with all these tennis players asking them to insert these bizarre lines into their press conferences and with someone like dominic team it stood out with someone like Naomi Osaka or Stefano Tsitsipas, uh, they're already a little bit weird. Yeah. So it actually did not jump out as false. And we may have even talked about Naomi's joke, quote-unquote yes. joke, on one of our episodes. She was answering a question you asked, Yeah. interrupted herself, and said, can I tell you guys a joke? She had kind of finished it. I couldn't tell that she was finishing, but then she was like, can I tell you guys a joke? Oh, and she's like, do you guys want to hear a joke? Yeah, okay. And we're like, yes, why not? Let's let's shift it up a little bit. And then she's like, when the score is deuce, the goose gets loose. The juice. The juice gets loose. And we're like, oh. And we all laughed dutifully. <laughs> no, but at the time I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. No, but we laughed that, dutifully. That's definitely like you know? something she would do. <laughs> so it didn't come off as a yeah. joke. It was very effective. It was less skillful than some of the other ones. Andy Murray's was amazing. Oh my god. It was so good. Andy's was hilarious. Yeah. A kitten nap? Yeah. Not a cat nap, but a kitten nap. That actually made sense. When Tsitsipas said... They're half as long, but twice as cute. <laughs> Tsitsipas had to say... Slap your dad and call him Brad. Yeah, I thought. Well, yeah, it sounds like something. Djokovic was very skillful in that he incorporated it into his, but then changed tenses to make it fit more. I was like, well, okay. 
Djokovic is, when, a, is a linguist. He's a polyglot. When the score is, was deuce. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. It was It was good. Let's not underestimate how much more difficult this is if you're speaking English as like a third or fourth uh-huh, language, yeah. which some of these players are. But we happen to have audio of that, <laughs> mm-hmm. that moment where we were duped. The ruse. We were duped by Miss Naomi Osaka. <laughs> Here it is. Do you think that that has something to do with your shift in perspective? You've told us how you're trying to have much more fun in court now and that you, you succeeded in that in Toronto. Do you think that that was the perfect timing for that shift ahead of becoming number one again so you can have a, a better perspective on, on how to handle it? Um, yeah, I mean, of course, I think for me, I think too seriously about things in the first place. So um, when I sort of add a lot of things, like I overthink. So when a lot of stuff like that happens um, and I'm on the court and it's no longer instinct, because um, I, when I play well, it's basically instinct. Um, so when stuff like that happens, I think it's just too much overthinking and then I don't even like joke around during practice because when I, practice and have fun and it usually ends up well. Do you guys want to hear a joke? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was expecting you guys to say no. <laughs> it's like a rhyme. Okay. Okay. Go for it. When the score is deuce, the juice gets loose. <laughs> wow. Aren't you dating that a rapper now? Is <laughs> like, I need some enthusiasm that with that. Good. It was I didn't see a comment. I was sitting there at my computer in the still of the night and this thing came up on my my timeline and people are like, oh my God, Andy Moore is so funny. And so I click on it and then mm-hmm. I start to realize what's happening. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then I saw Djokovic use the line that mm-hmm. Naomi used and then she came right afterward. And it's like, she's talking, she's looking at me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, you, were I just, was, you were just a mere pawn I was in a larger parts, game amused and annoyed and like <laughs> it was it wasn't even a press conference it was an all-access hour there was an all-access oh, yeah. thing yeah, yeah so she picked her spot to deploy that thing mm-hmm. so maybe she looked like she looked around at the table and she's like he's the one <laughs> he is the fool that i'm gonna use <laughs> it's strange that they decided to give her oj simpson's tagline the juice gets loose Oh, well, I didn't even honestly know that. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm an idiot. Well, it was before we were born. Way longer before I was born, obviously. You are now only one year <laughs> younger than me, okay? Is so, that is that how time works? That is how time works. You are now old, like me, as fuck. Is there anything else you want to say before we let these fine people go? No, we've skipped over a bunch of things that we don't have room for in this <laughs> show. But the one thing we want to let you know is... That there is a lot more tennis happening the rest of the year. Grand Slam season is done. The four are done. We are thankful. We are so thankful it is done. Mm-hmm. It is so stressful for us. We are Kelly Clarkson's second album that it's done. <laughs> thankful. <laughs> My God. Is that no? Maybe that's her first. I think I don't even know, man. I'm such. One a, of them is such thankful. Such a bad game. You are the original. Kelly Stan. I have come to her later in life. Yes. Yes, I am. I have come um, up to the mountain. <laughs> wow, that's not even her song. But she sure snapped and cracked on it on American Idol. 
She did both. If you could she see, snapped. if you could see my face. <laughs> she snapped. There are moments where she like, did snap. like, wow. Mm. And then there are other moments where like, it's, it's Lord. Okay. Great, great interpreters of song are allowed to crack. I admire her vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Mariah would never. I feel like that's shame, but. <laughs> be, may, may it be taught in schools. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of tennis to come. In the next few months, I won't be watching any of it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I will eventually get back into tennis, but mm-hmm. I do need a bit of a sabbatical. We are working on some some broader thematic episodes that are less uh, time sensitive. Yes, we. The first one we did was, I guess, the first ones we did were the TV episodes. We're no longer we're no longer really interested in that life. Well, maybe we'll be inspired again. Well, you don't really watch TV anymore, so... Well, I have a lot to catch up on. We could do an episode on Love Island. I mean, I could do one on trashy TV, like 90 Day Fiance, if you'd like. Okay, tangential. The point here is that we have maybe two to three episodes that we are honing in on Mm -hmm. that can be standalone episodes, research-based. We put our TBS spin on it, like the Pride episode. We're hoping to have a lot more time... To be able to put this out there for you. Uh, so if we don't cover Tianjin, it, things happen. We may be picking our spots <laughs> the rest of the year. and But there's going to be a lot more tennis. Lots of tennis tournaments in Asia. You, know, you only need to check your WTA ATP app to see what's... Of course. How the tours have moved on in the two hours Already. since the US Open. It is worth keeping track of the fact that Rafa Nadal has zero points to defend after the U.S. Open. Novak Djokovic has 2,600 points to Mm -hmm. defend. Nadal is only 640 points behind Djokovic for number one. The race for number one on the ATP Tour is absolutely something to look forward to. So Novak uh, has has a job to do if he wants to hold on to the number one. He was the runner-up in Paris and the World Tour Finals. He won Shanghai. If Rafa is able to secure number one some point at some point during this swing, it's possible he could hold on to it for quite a while. Because even though he made the finals in Australia this year, Djokovic won it. So Djokovic, in order to not lose at least 800 points, he would have to make the final next year. Mm. And then Rafa didn't have a stellar lead up to the French Open. He won Rome, but before then, it was quarterfinals and semifinals. So, who knows? This is it's it's one of the the starkest reminders of how quickly things can shift in tennis. That there was a thirty one hundred point swing in the ATP mm. rankings at the top yeah. at this tournament, with Djokovic losing early and Rafa winning. And uh, I'm also looking forward to Venus Williams playing Asia for the first time in a couple of years. And her her MO, her goal, will be to gain enough points to qualify for the Olympics. That will be difficult. The rise of the Anisimovas, the Kennans, hell, the Allison Risks, mm-hmm. who are now above her in the rankings. Keys. To go along with Keys, Sloan, Serena... All these women in American tennis, uh, Venus is going to have to put put the work in yeah. and get lucky in certain spots. To be and real. the thing is, 
So there, there are spots open for doubles players, but if the United States has a, a top 10 doubles player, they have to send that person. Venus will probably not be top 10 in doubles. No, because so, she doesn't have a ranking right. in doubles. But that person can then select their partner mm. outside of right. ranking stuff. So we shall see. So she needs to be calling up some of these Miss women. Miss Bethany Maddock and say, hey girl, you know, we go way back. You know that, that you know I won I've won Serena three what three gold medals in doubles. Call me. She'd be like back when all those reporters were fishing around that drug story about that Balco shit that that steroids <laughs> thing. Like I was like leave that girl alone. I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. <laughs> on that note, on that very shady note. Thank you for listening. My name is Jonathan. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. Your name is oh what. My name is James. I'm at Elliot JMR. That's two L's. And two T's. Two T's. We are at The Body Serve on Instagram and Twitter. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Podcatcher, Stitcher, whatever. All, all, the, all pod, those. the pod shitters mm-hmm. all over the place. Just Google us, you know? And give us a review on top of that. Thank you to the wonderful people who have given us reviews recently. We really, really appreciate it. Not just really appreciate, but really, really appreciate yes. it. I just want to clarify that. Shut up. Nick, John, the last two reviews that we got were, you know... Affirming. Yeah. Thank you so much. Enjoy your post-US Open rest, and we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.